Hello, I'm AT. Welcome to the Bulldog Gear podcast, where we aim to open up conversations and create discussions around the practical habits, ethos, and philosophies of the most successful people in our industry. Here, we will endeavor to identify, unpack, and discuss the actions and habits of fiercely successful individuals in and around the fitness space in an attempt to create clear, actionable philosophies for you guys to experiment with and implement on your own journey of self-improvement. And welcome back, guys. On episode 40 of the Bulldog Gear podcast, we are joined by under-23 UK strongest man, powerlifter, and coach, Ollie Clark. Ollie began his competitive career at just 14 and has racked up an enormous amount of experience and accolades in an incredibly short time. We talked about body image in strength sports, mindset and visualization, and the fine line between disordered eating and eating for optimal health and performance. Hope you guys enjoy this chat. Let's get to it. Hey, Ollie, how you doing, dude? I'm all good, mate. How have you been? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on today. Massively appreciate your time. No problem at all. I'm excited. For, uh, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know who you are, I wonder if you could uh, give us a kind of brief overview of, of how you got into training and, and how you got, in, you know, got to the position you're in today. Yeah, so um, well, at, at the moment I'm 20 years old and um, I started training back when I was about 11, so quite, quite a young one. And um, yeah, I started at just my local gym. You weren't actually allowed to use any of the free weights or anything until you was like 16, but uh, yeah, just went down there. I'd look at what the other guys are doing. Just a normal 11-year-old. I was just skinny, really small, wanting to build up. And I'd always had a fascination with just strength and power, like looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger, looking at bodybuilders, strongmen, that sort of thing. And I just went to get into it myself. So I'd be down the gym. It was called Grange Paddocks. I'd be down there every day just trying to do, not having a clue, trying to do bicep curls, that sort of thing. From there, I just go from gym to gym, and um, I actually started competing at 14 years old. So <clears throat> that was in powerlifting. I did powerlifting from 14 to about 17. I still, I still do it. I've not closed the door on that. And then from 17, I did my first strongman comp, and um, yeah, just went from there. So you're at 14 doing your first powerlifting comp. Did you, did you get any kind of um, pushback from, from the people around you, uh, you know, your parents or whatnot, on what you're actually doing there? Because it's a pretty common thing you see online, isn't it? If someone posts a picture of you know, someone young lifting, there's always kind of you know, the idiots who actually have not a day's sort of experience in training or physiology who've got something to say about young people lifting. Did you encounter any of that at all? Oh, massively. Ever since I started, it was just constant people telling me you shouldn't be doing that. You should be you should be out there on video games instead. All this nonsense, which I just, I, it wouldn't even faze me. I'd just ignore it. I'd think, what are they talking about? I enjoy what I'm doing. You'd actually, if you look into it, you realise how it can be safe. And um, yeah, so my parents, obviously, understandably, they would rather me <clears throat> not do it from that position, just seeing a skinny 14-year-old whatever, they're like, maybe it's best not to do this. But um, I went and got a coach. They actually helped me with that. So I went and hired a coach from a young age because it's important to know what you're doing. Like You see a lot of kids in the gym that are just ripping up deadlifts, not knowing how to actually correctly lift, uh, not knowing how to program their weights and can end up getting yourself ill. So it was, I was very lucky in that respect. And my parents, they got me a coach. And um, six weeks after having the coach, I just entered my first comp. But 
as you say, yeah, massively from anyone I tell, you know, you're too young, you're going to stunt your growth, all of this sort of thing. But um, yeah, I just went with it. Yeah, I, th- I think really it's like it, the the same things, the same sort of diminutive kind of uh, comments you could aim at people training young. It's the same stuff across the board any age, isn't it? If you train beyond your capacity, if you don't train smart, if you're constantly pushing beyond your means, you're going to get injured. I guess it's just exaggerated when you're young because you haven't quite yet got that basis of of durability. Like for us now, it's going to take a little bit more to get injured. But at the same time, we've actually got a higher capacity. We can lift more. So every likelihood is we're actually more liable to be injured, right? Because we're we're throwing bigger weights around. When you're, you know, your likelihood of injury, when you're not that strong, your durability is actually a lot of times better than your capacity, right? So it's in some ways, it's one of the best times of your life to be training. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, if you're lifting, if you're what, 11 years old, deadlifting 60 kilograms or whatever, compared to being, what, in your 20s, deadlifting 350, 400 kilos, the injury now is going to be far worse than what it could potentially be at 11 when you've when you haven't got the capacity of being able to lift that much definitely yeah that's that's so interesting i think i have the privilege of talking to a lot of people who you know have gone on to uh, become professionals in their sports and whatnot and uh, a question i always ask is at what point did you realize you wanted to take this seriously but i think this is kind of Uh, Not a weird one, but a very different question here because a lot of the times 16, 17, 18 or older before people are making this decision. But at what point, you know, you must have been like 13 when you were kind of thinking, I want to compete in parallel. I guess what I'm trying to get my head around is where between the age of 11 and 13 did you even think, you know, it's powerlifting I, I want to do? Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, I was just obsessed with it. Like, where all my friends would be playing football or where they'd be playing Xbox or whatever, I'd just be sitting there watching powerlifters on YouTube or watching how to get my squat up, how to get my bench press up. Like, I was just fascinated watching these massive men lifting massive weights. Like, it sounds weird, but I was just obsessed. Like, I was hooked ever since I started. And, um, yeah, that was it, really. Like, I just thought I want to go all the way. And... I think at that age as well, you kind of, as a child, you haven't had too many setbacks and you've got the belief, like children, if you ask a child what they want to do, oh, I want to be an actor, or oh, I want to be an astronaut. And you kind of still have those beliefs as a child, it's sort of knocked out of you through the schooling system and then as you get older, but then like, you believe you can do anything. And I just thought, yeah, I want to be, I want to have world records, I want to break this, break that, I want to be the world's strongest man. And I just believed it. And I didn't have a single bit of doubt at all. That's actually, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, you do, you kind of get, we joke about it all the time, but you kind of get to the point where the weight of the world lowers your expectations at times, doesn't it? But I guess you, you'd you found something that was very tangible for you to go away and do at that time, right? As a 30-year-old, if you say, I don't know, you say, I want to be a, a pilot you know you're a long way off there's things you can start doing you can you get your GCSEs get your A levels go to university do all that stuff but you were actually doing it at the time this is a bit of a sidebar but something that interests me do you think if this was you know if we were all 20 years older and you were doing this pre-social media pre-youtube do you think you would have still had the same kind of inspiration without 
do you think you even would have had access to knowing this stuff existed? To be honest with you, it's hard to say, but I do think, like, ever since I was about five years old, I remember asking my mum I wanted to go down to the sports shop and get a set of dumbbells. And I remember getting, like, a set of one kilogram dumbbells sitting in my room curling them. Like, ever since I was, I just always was fascinated with it. It's just something ingrained in me. I just always was obsessed with strength, progressing that. It was just, like I say, it's like an addiction and like an obsession. And I do think regardless of whether there'll be YouTube out there, social media out there, just being in the gyms and just like watching the movies like Arnold Schwarzenegger, things like that, you'd, I'd still, I do think I'd still want to do it, yeah. But it is, it's hard to tell, obviously, yeah. Yeah, I think we've got access to so much more information these days, which I, I think, you know, my personal opinion is, is fantastic. I think being able to, yeah. you know, find, find your passion in places that, you know, when I, I'm obviously... Uh, you know, I'm like 13 years old and you, I didn't have that growing up and it was, you do stuff and you do kind of wouldn't have any idea that other people were even doing it. Uh, it's so cool yeah. what the internet's done. At what point did you kind of make the transition from uh, powerlifting to strongman? At what point did that come onto your radar? Um, at that point, so I did, I did my last powerlifting competition when I had, um, I was 16 and, uh, that last one, I think it was the British, like the British Championships or something, for 16 and 17 year olds. And um, I remember I, I won it, but I was just, I competed so much in powerlifting. And as you know, it's just squat, bench, deadlift. You already know who's going to win because they're so, like the numbers are the numbers. It's not like much, obviously things can go wrong, but in strongman, you can push harder. Like it's rep events, it's so much different. And I just, where I was training at the time, there was a few strong men and just seeing it around, I thought, yeah, I want to give this a try. I never had the idea of, I want to push strong man hard. I just thought, yeah, I'll give strong man a try. So at 16, I bought, booked my first comp and it was for four weeks later. So I think I turned 17 and the comp was the week after that. And it was actually, um, it was a massive comp, especially for your first comp. It was London's strongest man and um, I was in the novice class so it was the first time really I was directly up against any age like an open category like men that were from I think the next youngest was like 25 or something and they were all the way up to about 35 40 in this category and I remember there being 25 25 men in the class like the class was totally stacked out and full and um yeah, so I went down there and um, I actually won the whole competition. And from then I was just hooked. Like, I thought, I love it. I loved the whole day. I loved the buzz you got from it. Obviously, when you're powerlifting, you get your adrenaline so high, it's a one rep max. But then when you're doing like rep events, you're pushing hard. You, you've got, it's in your head whether you can push harder than the next person. And that's what I loved about it. Just like the mind thing during the actual contest you can keep pushing harder and show who's got the better will. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot more flexibility on what can happen on the day, right. In a, in a strongman comp and even event to event. Um, Definitely. You know, you're going to have your strengths and you, you, even in powerlifting, even if you've got someone that's a bench specialist or a squat specialist, they've still got to do all three lifts, right. Whereas you can go to an event that's much more static or much more, um, you know, dynamic or got much more loading, which might be your strength versus someone else's weakness. What I think is really interesting about strongman as a sport is it is fairly mixed modality, right? Even though you're 
you've got to be strong primarily. It's not like CrossFit where there's going to be a, a big spectrum of strength to metabolic conditioning, but you still have to have a lot of that in strongman, right? Yeah, massively. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you've got to be an all-round package. You can't just be like, obviously, powerlifting. You've just got to be statically strong. And uh, strongman, you've got to be all-round. Like I said, you've got to be fast. You've got to have the conditioning. You've got to have the mindset. There's, you've got to be. You've got to have every single aspect to be able to win a contest. And yeah, that's I, what one really appeals with me. I think uh, it's probably the sport for me carries up most to the real world i think crossfit and, and functional fitness in that sort of guys sometimes can overreach like you're you're going to be doing things or training in energy systems etc that probably not they're not going to be they're not going to set you back in real life but you're probably never going to use that energy system to the degree you're using yeah. it in. and that, i mean i guess that's true of a lot of heavy stuff in strongman but all in all a lot of the low, low carry medleys and, uh, and rep deadlifts versus one rep maxes and things like that. I think to me, they're much more transferable skills to real life. Massively. Yeah. Like you see things like who's a carries, like who can carry the heaviest rock as far as they can. Like it's just so basic and it's just like, and farmers walk as well, like a weight in each hand. It's like carrying a shopping in. Like yeah. they are so, they are so transferable to real life, as you say. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about Strongman, and I think it's because of how Strongman's presented uh, or traditionally has been presented in the media, like World Strongest Man, it's, you know, it's giants, right? You're literally looking at giants. And I think that yeah. makes, it makes people think like, wow, there's this thing that's so far off from where I am. Um, yeah. this is, these, are, these are giants of men doing these incredible feats when really and truly, like for me, Strongman training is probably the most low-skill accessible way to train like you can get someone to flip a tire much quicker than you can teach them a power clean you can get someone to squat a sandbag faster than any other you know next to literally sitting up off a bench i'd say it's the next kind of scale up it's so accessible to everyday people we're in your coaching how much um in your coaching for say gem pop not not athletes how many how much strong man work do you actually include i i actually include quite a lot of it to be honest with you because as you say, it's so transferable to real life. And of course, <clears throat> it's so the benefits of strength training, strongman training are massive, just for body composition, anything like that. Health and fitness overall. If you're, you're running around with weights, like the, the benefits of it are massive. And as you say, it's really easy to teach. Obviously, things like there's more technical lifts than others, like a log press, a deadlift. And you can go more and more in depth to perfect them and perfect them. But overall basics, like it's it's really easy to learn. And as you say, things like Olympic lifting, how technic how technically you have to be and that sort of thing, it is in day to day coaching it's it's a benefit as well, yeah, massively. Yeah. So you you won um you won the novice class at London. Where did you go from there? So, yeah, so I won the novice class at London's and um, when I was 17. My next comp, from that, I got invited to um, under 23 UK Strongest Man. So that was my next comp. And um, that was actually, a, you'd, if you win that competition, you are invited to the real UK Strongest Man on Channel 5, like against all the, with the top men in the UK. So um, I went there not really having a clue what to expect, but... I was kind of on a high thinking, cool, I'm, I'm unstoppable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win it at 17, the under 23s. 
and I went there, there was 20 competitors and um, I came 10th and it was like a real eye opener. I thought like, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of work to do. And from that competition, I just had my eyes set on that goal for the next year. And that's all I thought about. That's every, I put everything was just for that one contest for next year. So, um, yeah, after that, I did under 23s. Um, I then did, I totally, I skipped inters. Because one thing that I, I push to my clients, my strength clients, and to anyone that asks advice, I always say you get people stuck in categories for years. Like you'll have people stuck in novice categories for years, inters categories for years. And it's just because they're not pushing themselves. Like if you can, if you put a goal and say, yeah, I'm going to book a comp, I'm going to do, I'm an inters now, but I'm going to do an opens in four months. If you book that competition, you have no choice but to train for that. You're going to push yourself harder. You're going to, you're just going to do it, and it's going to make you get better and better. And that's what I did. I went straight from novice. I went straight to opens. Um, I, I did a few opens comps, and then um, there was under 23s for the next year. So when I was 18, I did it again, and I actually come third. Did I come? No, I come fourth. So I come fourth when I was 18 and I was gutted because literally all I did that year was train for that one contest. And yeah, as I, like I literally, my whole life was that one contest. And yeah, I come third. So it's a big improvement from 10th of the year before. But um, yeah, so after that, I just went back to work, did the same thing. And I realised the problem wasn't that I wasn't strong. The problem was... I wasn't the full package. Like we spoke about earlier, you've got to be a well-rounded package. So I remember I went from weighing about 100 and 110 kilos when I was 17 to the next under 23s weighing about 136 kilos. So I gained about 26 kilos in a year, which massively affected my cardio, my conditioning and my speed. So all of those events I was held back on because of that. So what I realized is I had to drop some weight. I had to improve my fitness. I had to improve my conditioning and speed. And that's all I worked on for the next year. And um, yeah, when I was 19, I won it at the next one. Yeah, absolutely amazing. You in that, that in, you really also changed your, obviously by nature of losing that, that weight that you'd put on there, but your body composition changed massively in that, in that time, didn't it? Yeah. Drastically, yeah. Obviously you were trying to increase your conditioning, um, to be, you know, specific to training for the event, but was there ever, did you also have an eye on and having that kind of body composition change? Sorry, could you say that again? That last bit. You, did you actually, you know, were you actively trying to change your body composition? Like, was that a kind of secondary target for you to get into the kind of uh, into the kind of shape you're in now? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I didn't like the way I looked. Like being, you put in so much work in the gym, and just forcing yourself to eat, forcing yourself to get heavier and stuff, and you end up just looking crap. Like you just, like I just felt like I looked terrible. Like I was just fat. I was big, but I was just a big lump, just fat and strong. And obviously, I didn't like it at all. Like, and then I realised I didn't need to be like that. Like, you haven't got. You look at the top strong men now. A lot of them have abs. Like some world's strongest men have abs. And 
that's the thing. You, you're not just a fat guy from down the pub that's strong because of that. It's changing where, like yeah. we spoke about, you have to be the full package. And yeah, I did, I did want that for myself, just to look, be like, look like you lift, as well as have the actual strength and functionality as well. So yeah, I was actively trying to improve my body compositions to look better as well as perform better. I think that's a really interesting point. I think that there's a, a bit of a, um, a sort of misnomer that, yeah, like a lot of, you're going to compete in strongman, so it's just mass moves mass, and you just want to get as heavy as possible. And that's been kind of the traditional thinking, hasn't it? And then, you know, starting, you know, even going quite far back now, like Marius Putzinowski's like, fuck, yeah. like nearly 15, 20 years ago. And he was yeah. jacked, like jacked to the gills, vascular. Um, do you think there's still a kind of, I don't know, I don't, I'm trying to c- carefully choose my words here. Do you think there's still a kind of, uh, maybe a group of people who hold on to that idea of like, yeah, mass moves mass. I just want to be a big lump because it suits them. You know, it yeah. suits them not to go down this other route of, um, you know, f- maybe fully can do. I'm not saying that it, I'm not saying that they would be better with better composition, but I'm just saying, do you think there are a group of people that maybe hold on to that a little bit too tightly? Yeah, I do think that there are a lot of people out there that use strongman just as an excuse to just be fat and a bit. Right, you said it, not me. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, I do a lot, a lot of people do use it as an excuse to just be fat and have to eat whatever they want, but. At the end of the day, if you're happy doing that, yeah, exactly, yeah, it does have its place as well. Some events are mass does move mass, like truck pull, for instance. But yeah, if you if you're trying to be a top level strongman athlete, then it's not just about forcing everything down your face. You've got to look a lot more into it, into the food quality, the food types, and the amounts, the training phases, etc., like that. Yeah, I guess it's like being living in a body that's functional for what you want to do right and if you get to the point where actually having this extra mass isn't necessarily useful or it's even hindering you've got to strike that balance like you say having you to be the full package it might all be well and good weighing 200 kilos and then when you get on the truck pull you just lean forward and you're gone but if you can't make it over 25 meters because your heart is beating out of your chest (laughs) kind of all for now isn't it i really like what you said there i found really interesting that you you said about you know spending all this time in the gym and wanting to look like you train which is super interesting because you clearly do train like you you know you you were you were placing you've been training for over a decade at this point you've been placing super high in comps so you do train but we have this idea of what someone looks like that trains right do you was that something that you thought about a lot previously when you were carrying the extra mass was that ever on your mind before then or were you too focused on you know what you're actually doing comp wise to be honest with you when i was actually going through it where when i was in the place where i was just at my heaviest i didn't really care at all i just accepted the fact that i thought i'm just going to have to keep getting heavier and heavier to get stronger and stronger so I'll do whatever whatever's necessary to do that. Whether it means I'll have to look terrible to do it, then I'll do it. But actually, when you like I said, we spoke about when you look into it more, you don't need to. But yeah, totally. I didn't. I just accepted it. I thought I've got to be fat, then I'll be fat, and that's that. But obviously, I started training because I wanted to look good, and have, you have more confidence, obviously, 
looking better and it kind of I've kind of brought that back a little bit yeah I, th- I think this is something that a lot of people fall into where you can get caught up um the what i say is you can get caught up chasing someone else's goal right or you can get caught up chasing a goal that maybe isn't really your primary goal. It doesn't necessarily fully align. And, you know, I'm not, there's no comparison here because you're competing at such a high level. But I can remember going through a phase where I wanted to, I can't even remember what the number was at the time, but I wanted to hit a certain deadlift. And I was of the same mind and I was just caning calories, um, you know. And like when I hit the number, relative to the amount of weight I put on, like we're talking pound for pound, I was actually weaker. Because I, put, yeah. you know, I was weaker, like pound for pound. Uh, yeah. And I looked like, you know, I looked like shit. And I kind of, yeah. like, why do I even care? Like, and I had this, I put got into my head. I was like, yeah, but worrying about what you look like, worrying about your body fat percentage, that's just vanity. But really, also at the time, I, I wasn't competing in anything. So just having this big deadlift was also just, that was ego as well. And yeah. I kind yeah. of had to decide, well, which one of these is more important to me? Or is is it even necessary to like have a bit of a gut to be able to yeah. deadlift this when, like you say, there's loads of people walking around that ten percent body fat, twice as strong as me. But well, it's yeah, probably not. Then is it? No, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you do get in that mindset and you end up getting carried away. Just yeah, you have to sometimes take a step back and think, well, what do I really want? What do I truly want out of this goal? Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people in the functional world fall into that trap. Um, where maybe they actually got into training like like ninety percent of us to look better yeah and it and you know what that does actually pay off for a lot of them you know the, a lot of high level you know crossfit or whatever you want to call it athletes look fantastic, but for some people you know with certain genetic limitations you 're going to have to and you 're just not doing the same training volume right it 's very easy to say oh so and so does crossfit and they look amazing but they're training yeah. for three hours a day. Like they've got such a high training volume yeah. that, you know, that adds up. And for the average person, if they want to make some changes to how they look, I think it's just being, I think it's just being realistic about that, isn't it? And honest and yeah. not worrying. I think we get so caught up with thinking, oh, that's vain. And well, actually I think most of it, it whatever makes you happy, isn't it? As long as you're training, yeah. you're ticking those boxes. Yeah. So what whatever about, makes you happy. Yeah, exactly that. So what, what does, um, when you were training for your whim, uh, recently, what did a normal week of training look like for you? So when I was, yeah, so a normal week of training, I train four days a week and I don't train more than that. So a lot of people get caught up in, they think like they look at you, they think, oh, they must train every single day or whatever, but that's definitely not the case. So I always train four days a week and those sessions may last two hours, but sometimes those sessions can last four, four hours or so. Right. I'll do, um, so in the week I'll do gym sessions and those gym sessions will consist of a squat focus session with leg accessories. It will then be like a pressing focus session. So maybe like a bench press or a log press and then other upper body accessories like dumbbell press, that sort of thing. I then have a deadlift day with all the back accessories. And then one of the days at the weekend is when I'll have my strongman event sessions. So these sessions are usually ones that will last four hours or so. And that isn't four hours solid training. It's important to have a lot of rest. So you want to keep hitting the same numbers 
and you need to rest enough time to be able to do that and for your body to be able to move at the same speeds like so it isn't four hours solid just training so don't don't start thinking that but yeah that, that's that's sort of the structure and a lot of people don't realize with strongman as well it's massively about recovery too when you're lifting these really heavy weights the strain it puts on your central nervous system is huge like you could do an event session and I could go home and I could have flu symptoms for a week. Yeah. Like there's something, there's something called yoke flu. If you lift a heavy yoke, you'll end up feeling like you've got the flu all week just because of how much it takes out of your central nervous system. So recovery is massive. And there's a few types of recovery. Like you've got to recover your central nervous system, like I said, and you've also got to physically recover like your muscles and <clears throat> any injuries that you've got. So on top of the training sessions, I'd be doing like a, a hot and cold tub. So really I'd just have a bin that's full of cold water and jump in the hot tub and then just keep repeating that. And that'll be every training day, aim for every day though. So every day trying to do that. Um, you've got sleep as well. So at the time when I was at school, I'd leave school early, I'd come home and I'd go to sleep for two hours and I'd then um, get ready to train and stuff like that. So I try and sleep for an extra two hours in the day in prep. And obviously at night as well, as much sleep as you can. You take, I take CBD supplements and stuff to make sure the quality of sleep's really good. Um, on top of that, then you've got things like physio. So um, I, don't, I don't know if you know personally, but I use Miguel from MGM Clinics. Yeah, yeah. He's... Yeah, I've always gone to him ever since I was 14 years old. I've seen him every single week. And when I'm, if I've got an injury or a niggle, then I'll see him three times a week. So that's a chiropractor I'll see at least once a week. And then on top of that, things like sports massage as well, every week. <laughs> and just general like mind, I've, I think a lot of people overlook the mind part of it. And I think that's really big for me. Like just literally things like practicing, relaxing, and then visualizing yourself at that competition, I'd lie there and I'd be thinking about, it sounds weird, it sounds like a bit mental, but I'd lie there thinking about the events, thinking about myself doing the events, thinking about what it'd feel like. And I'd kind of even train like my adrenal glands, like I'd feel it, I'd be sitting there in the living room thinking about it and I'd be getting goosebumps, like just thinking about what it's gonna be like, like all sorts of things like that all come into play. It's sort it's just just like a full time job really. Yeah, I don't think that sounds weird at all, mate. I've been fortunate enough to speak to like some like really amazing professionals in their field and yeah. that's a really common thread is visualization. Yeah. It really is. Like you have to be able to see yourself doing it. Um, and I don't even mean that in a sort of esoteric, like manifest it kind of way. I mean that in a literal way of teach your mind what's gonna happen um, exactly. and then and then you're prepped for it. Yeah. Exactly. You're just telling yourself you're going to do it and you're ready to do it. You go there and you're just doing it another time. Yeah. I think just listening to the way you broke that down there and the speed you kind of went through your training and then um, when you spoke about your recovery, this is only going out on audio, but for anyone listening, like you leant right forward. Uh, I could tell that you were, uh, that that's a, such an important aspect of it. That, like to you it's almost like the training was like the training is going to get done the training is what it is you know what you know you know what you're doing yeah but the recovery side of it like for me who has, who admittedly is just 
shit at that stuff is why i don't do very well at anything is um like to me that because the train is the fun part right the, right. the train is the bit where we get to go and do the stuff we want to be doing um whereas the, yeah whereas the recovery is the part that i think takes the the real discipline definitely yeah i think that's what adds the extra few percentages like you find you you do that and you it gives you confidence as well so people that suffer with doubting themselves and things like that if you tick every single box, there's no reason for you to doubt yourself. You've done everything possible. And it's when people obviously haven't done the best they could or haven't done the best, haven't stuck to it as well as they could, that's when they'll start doubting themselves. But if I never miss a single hot or cold session, never miss a chiropractic session, never miss a meal, anything, then I'll go to that comp just full of confidence. I've, there's nothing I could have done more. And that's, that's what you'll feel like. That's such an interesting point. Absolutely great point there. So just plan out absolutely everything you can do and make sure you're ticking those boxes and you've left kind of left no stone unturned. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think a lot of people, you know, in any competitive environment, the, the place where they get inside their own head is when they start wondering all the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And that's when they start to crumble. Yeah. When you get that on a comp day, you don't. All you want to be thinking about is yourself winning that, winning that event, doing the best you can. You don't want to start going there, nervous or shaking, thinking, "Oh, can I do this? Can't I do this? My last session wasn't good. Maybe it was because I didn't sleep enough the night before." And then that's all in the back of your mind, and then you're a nervous wreck when you come to do the first event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've got to, you've got to have gone there to come back, haven't you? But when you're prepped. If you make sure you've covered all your bases, yeah, that's a I think that's a really good sort of transferable point that a lot of people miss is not leaving anything up to chance. Yeah, massively, I think so. Yeah. So you you'd been through the phase where you were kind of just you know shoving everything in the face you could, in your face you could to 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 get that mass up, um, and now obviously you know you're in you know phenomenal shape body composition wise. What do you do nutrition wise? Um, what, what do you mean? What does my diet look like? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, at the moment, uh, you've obviously made quite a, you know, I, I don't particularly like this one, but like you've made a huge transformation. Um, Jeez, thanks. Yeah, I mean, is there, any, is there anything in particular that's unique to you that you do? Um, I wouldn't, I'd say the key for me is just consistency. Like, you find a lot of people, they say they can't lose weight, but you find every day their diet's different. And you find they can't stick to a diet because they've set themselves too lower calories and then they just end up binging. And yeah. so they're, they're going up and down, up and down constantly. Whereas if you stick to what I've found for myself is just, I'm only talking basic here, if you stick to a certain amount of calories, slowly bring it down slowly bring it down again when you start stalling maybe adding some more activity adding some more cardio more steps and then just making it a gradual slow process being consistent you'll find you'll get you'll end up getting there quicker than the person anyway who's doing these fad diets because you're not messing up you're not going up and down every five minutes you're just sticking constantly you just your progression is just linear yeah, I think I think a lot of people try and make too many changes overnight. Don't they? Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people who, and this is literally just the quirk of their personality, is they're able to do that. They're able to make complete sort of identity shifts. But for most of us, like making a huge change overnight 
yeah it's just not sustainable is it and he i think people balk at the idea or people when you say to people you know just make this small change make this small tweak they kind of can't believe that that's going to make and i get it i get it because there is so much to look at you know in terms of nutrition protocols in terms of supplementation it's then hard to believe that if you're just like hey you know just you know cut this out or you know so reduce your portions of this or maybe switch this to that people think no that can't be it that's too easy but it's the consistency that's the important part isn't it massively yeah i I think just consistency is the key to it all massively what is a what does a normal day of eating look like for you um right now i've just done i've done a little bit of a mini cut so i just had a photo shoot the other week and just dropped down a little bit so Right now, I'll wake up, um, I'll do my first couple of clients early, and then I'll have my first meal about 8am, and that'll be two cinnamon raisin bagels, six eggs, and four rashers of turkey bacon. Um, I'll then, my next meal about mid-morning, it's not really a meal, it's, um, I'll have 100 grams of porridge, and four egg whites with some more turkey bacon, and as I say, I'm boring. I'm very simple and boring. So I don't, I, you can make it fun and you can make it work for you, but I just, I just put it, I just make it simple. <laughs> that's, that's it. I then have 250 grams of lean red meat. So whether that be steak, mince, whatever, 350 grams of potatoes with vegetables. I'll then have that same porridge meal pre-workout, go and train have some rice crispy bars and a protein shake afterwards. I'll then have um, a packet of rice and 200 grams of chicken breast, lettuce, and then Nando sauce, things like that. Uh, I'll then have that same meal again, and then just granola and Greek yogurt for just before bed. And you're fairly consistent with that day in, day out. Yeah, I'll just, I'll literally eat the same food every single day and then have a cheap meal once a week. And that's, there's ways to do it where you can make it a lot more fun. You can spice it up a lot more, have so much more variety, but where I'm busy with work and I just find it easy, just bulk prep and keep the food choices simple. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we're in the day and age, aren't we, of, of flexible dieting where, yeah. you know, people think that that, you know, we've swung so far the other way that now people think that is the only way. The only way is to, you know, track every single meal you eat and every single meal has got to be different day in, day out. And I personally, I actually envy people who can still, can just be consistent like that with the same food every single day across the board. I don't think, and uh, you know, you'll see people with the rhetoric of like, Oh, that's disordered eating or that's this, that's that. But if it's not for you, then it's not right. If it's not a thing for you, and even like the, there's people that are uncomfortable with using the term cheat meal, and you know there's there's yeah. a big push against it. But if like having that one meal a week, you know that's just what fits in your schedule, and you're happy you're yeah. happy to go back. I guess the problem arises, doesn't it, when people are thinking about that meal all week? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, when people get too obsessed with just that one meal, also they're thinking about that's that's when you've got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the context is so important i I think people are very quick online especially um, to kind of you know there's people who are not even they're not fucking qualified anything let alone nutritionists who want to diagnose eating disorders and you're kind of like well yeah like i will 
I will have a, I kind of got called out on it recently where I'm like, oh, I had a pizza on a Friday and they're like, oh, we don't do cheap meals. And I'm like, yeah, but I'd have one on a Tuesday or a Wednesday as well. Yeah. It just so happens that I definitely have one on Friday and I don't think yeah, about yeah. it. It's just, that's just my yeah. schedule. I just, just like the way it. it's schedule in life and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly that. Like it's a fun, it's a social thing to do. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm not sniffing rice cakes on a Wednesday. Thinking, I can't <laughs> yeah. wait. I can't wait for that pizza. I think that's what's important is that context, isn't it? And I, yeah. I do, I do often wonder how many people that kind of setup would work for where they yeah. allow, you know, where they have one like big social nice meal week, but they don't think about it for the rest of the week, but they almost feel like they can't do that now because they're going to get shamed by yeah. the, yeah. you know, by the, by the Instagram. That's community. It. Yeah. It's an odd one, isn't it? But if you're comfortable, I, I don't, I think it's about your own levels of desire, isn't it? I know people that, will eat a burger like once a month and it's not because they're super dedicated it's just because they don't think about burgers yeah exactly not not on their mind not on the priority list no like if if you're busy with work and you're busy with life and things like that and you're just on the go constantly then i find it just key and simple just to have whatever meal and just stick with that and i find these certain um food choices work well for my digestion they work well for my training and just because they work i don't get bloated i don't i digest them easy as i said then i just stick with them that's another thing that is so important and so overlooked by the idea of flexible dieting and you know all the all of that sort of thing is how does the food make you feel you know like i know i could eat you know i know i could you know if i'm on 3400 calories a day yeah, I know there's certain foods that I could get away with eating and my body composition would feel great, but I'd feel like shit all day and I wouldn't perform very well. And that exactly. we talk about weight loss, and we, but we don't discuss how do these foods make you feel. And um, exactly. I guess like, you know, for instance, you know, Stan Efferding, he's got like yeah. the, the vertical diet where it might yeah. look a bit restrictive, but actually what it's about is getting in as many calories as possible with as few digestive issues. And that, that stuff's so important. So yeah, you might, yeah, cool for weight loss. You can, you know, as long as you're in your, your energy deficit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you want to walk around all day bloated and, and feeling like shit? And there's almost like, it's almost a bit too reductive, isn't it? To say, oh, you can eat anything yeah. as long as you're in an energy balance. Well, yeah, you can. But, but it's, it's a lot of things you've got to look at. Yeah. So like if I went, instead of having my pre-workout chicken and rice meal, or I could go down McDonald's have fit a burger in there or something yeah well i'll go to the gym and i want to fall asleep so yeah just it's what works for you exactly yeah exactly that and yeah i think you you can only you get to know that with time and i do i think the i think of one of the biggest problem is a lot of people walk around feeling so shit all the time that they don't actually yeah. notice like so if, yeah, you, yeah. if you're used to eating a fairly well you know a high micronutrient diet that's well spread out and good for your gut issues you really notice like yeah, i'll know yeah. if i've eaten shit because my training will suffer or i you know i know to spread there's certain foods that i won't eat if i know i've got a training session later on in the day and i know some people will be like oh that's weird it's restrictive and it's like no not really i just don't want to chuck when i work out later <laughs> i'll save it till afterwards yeah exactly later before bed or something rather yeah than- <laughs> yeah yeah these yeah. things are they're definitely to be considered right massively yeah massively 
dude yeah, I, it's a lot more it's a lot more than just what the food is what you put in your mouth it's just there's a lot more that goes into it yeah 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 like I, whenever i see calories are all that matter for weight loss i just want to stick a big asterisk on it and but, yeah, like, yeah. but there's yeah. more to life than weight loss definitely yeah. definitely yeah. Uh, i've got a, a toolbox talk it's a round of quick fire questions that we ask every guest just to give some like tangible into the actual next steps um if you could make one book or piece of media compulsory reading or watching for either people new to the industry or training what would it be and for what reason and it doesn't need to be a book it can be absolutely anything someone could just go away and digest i think maybe just the idea of you haven't got to be fat to be strong yeah like just the, just that sort of idea of you haven't got to be you haven't just got to be heavy, big, heavy, like we spoke about. You haven't got to be a big, heavy, strong man in order to be able to be strong and perform. Are there any uh, are there any books or anything like that, that you've you've read on your on your journey that you know you've taken a lot of lessons away from? Um, to be honest with you, I haven't really, I haven't read it. There's not a ton of informational books out there on strong man training and that yeah. sort of thing. Mine, mine's really come from experience and being with these, like my coach Lawrence Charlet for years, I've been down often with him a lot and it's just come from those sort of people, just being around those sort of people in the industry, asking them questions, videos, yeah. YouTube, things like that. So yeah. Yeah, the, the, the lessons gained there and the spread of information you can get, right? You read a book and you get one idea and you get the, exactly. the author pitching to you. So just watch Lawrence's YouTube channel, right? Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> <laughs> If you could go back in time and speak to yourself in the first year or two of your training or your competitive career, what advice would you have for yourself? I'd say, well, it's like we're talking about all the time, but I'd just say don't don't get too heavy too quickly. Yeah. Take your time a little bit more. What one or two daily or weekly habits or actions, possibly unique to you, do you feel have contributed most to your success? I think maybe like the mindset thing where um, I, I like to take time just to think about my goals. And like we said before, coastal competition, I'll be imagining those sort of goals and imagining how they'll feel like. So yeah, I'd say the mindset aspect of it has contributed quite a lot. So like the visualization. Visualization techniques, those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. I would also say as someone who's just sat and chatted to you for an hour, I think that your discipline and your consistency, like one thing you said that really stuck out to me, was like when I was at school, I would come home and speak for a few hours. Now I'm 33 now, so it's going back a long time, but I can remember being 15, 16, 14, whatever. And there was no yeah. way I was coming home from school. Like there was, no, there was nothing, there was nothing important enough to me in my life that if you said, right, you're going to have to go home and sleep for a few hours, I'd be like, I don't, I don't want it that badly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I think that consistency yeah. is, has obviously paid off for you. No, thank you. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Can you name one item that you've purchased or acquired relatively inexpensively that's given you a huge return on your investment, whether that's something that's benefited your training or your nutrition, uh, just something someone could go away and, you know, they're going to get a huge return if they go and buy it? I wouldn't say a certain item has um, contributed massively, but I'd say just the idea of learning, like I hired a coach straight away and that massively benefited me. Like, People out there, they haven't got a clue about training, which is understandable totally. Mm. But by just investing in yourself, investing in a coach or something like that has just massively given me a big return on investment.
Yeah, I, I, I always think about, uh, you know, when, when you're working with a coach or you, even if you've just got someone programming for you, it supercharges your training, right? Because you've just got yeah. all of their experience and you've got no, there's no second guessing either. And I think no. this goes from whether you're just, whether you're just like, you know, Jane who works at a co-op who wants to lose a few pounds or whether you're yeah. a competitive athlete or anyone in between. Anytime I've got something I, I will mostly, if I've got something I want to do, that's important to me. I will get someone else to program for me just to take away the, the, the second guessing because I know I will actually put a little bit more heart into it. If I'm following someone else's programming just out of respect really, but it does make a huge difference, doesn't it? And you've paid that and you kind of, you're more accountable. You've paid for it. So you want to stick to it more. So yeah, massively. Yeah, I didn't want to sound like a skin flint and say that, but <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Yeah, like, I'm getting the most out of this. <laughs> if you could only perform one exercise or movement for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Um, I'd say squats because I just, I love squatting. I think squat is just having that bar on your back feeling heavy and then squatting down, standing up with it. It's just the best feeling. So yeah, I'd say squat. I think we've, we've got a bit of running competition at the moment. I need to go back and check, but between squats and deadlifts, like they're the two, like, I think that you might have just brought the neck and neck. If I'm remembering correctly, deadlift deadlift might just be like one ahead. Um, But why, why would you choose to squat over the deadlift? I just find, well, personally, squats suit me a little bit more. But um, just having that, it's, it's like the danger element as well. Because a deadlift, obviously, there's massive injury risks, but you can drop the weight. Whereas a squat on the back, it's just, it's more, I think, it's, for me, I find it more extreme and I find it more, like, unsettling, which is what gives me more adrenaline and makes me just, yeah, I just love it more. Yeah, like that intensity of having the heavy back, heavy load on your back in that. Yeah, getting yeah, I can totally see that actually. That's a really I think you're the first person to have to have said that. But quite uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a very interesting take on it. I can totally get that. Uh dude, where can people find you online? Um, so my Instagram is coach underscore Ollie Clark. Uh, my Facebook it would be, be the same, Ollie Clark, Coach Ollie Clark. And um, yeah, I'm actually I'm going to be starting a YouTube channel very soon, and that'll be under the same sort of thing. So yeah, any of any of those platforms. And um, what you you offer online coaching, right? Yeah, I do um, online coaching, strength training, and general general training as well. Fantastic. So uh, guys, get over, give Ollie a follow on Instagram, and uh, keep your eyes open for the uh, for the YouTube channel, dude. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It's massively appreciated. No, thank you. I've had a great time. It's been good. Cool. And uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Definitely. I'll be up for that. (laughs) Take care, mate. Have a good one, mate. I'll see you soon. And there we have it. Thank you for listening in. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be greatly appreciated if you could drop us a review on your podcast app of choice. Any feedback you've got, please send it over via social media and don't hesitate to tell us what you would like to hear more of. I'm AT, this has been the Bulldog Gear podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys.